You're listening to The Cylinder, the Goat Farm Art Center podcast. Sprawl is a sprawling exhibition of 116 objects and 74 artists who are based in Atlanta in the metro area in Atlanta. And it's uh, a sequel to a show that we did two years ago called um, Drawing Inside the Perimeter, which did a similar thing, only on a smaller scale. Uh, I don't recall how many artists we had in that show, but I think no more than 40 with uh, less than 50 objects in the show. So significantly have expanded on the idea. And uh, for that reason, it's it's, uh, far more inclusive and uh, I think provides a, a really amazing um, cross-section of, of what's going on in the city in terms of the visual arts. Uh, my name is Michael Rooks. I'm the Wheeland family curator of contemporary modern art at the High Museum. I joined the museum in 2010 and um, one of the things I've done in my career as a curator is to, to insert myself, to embed myself in the different communities and cities where I live because I feel personally that our communities are our front lines of support. Support really, I think of it in terms of concentric rings. So the, the, the closest, tightest one is the artists who live and work in your city. And what we do should reflect the interests and priorities of those people, not only the artists, but the people who support them and the other collectors and you know follow the rings out outward. And we do that. We're doing that more and more often now. And I think that's an indication of the museum feeling more comfortable in its skin. We have a new building, 2005. It's now 10 years. It was a really big change in uh, the museum's history to grow from the Meyer building to the Wheeland Pavilion and the Cox Chambers wing. All of a sudden we've got, we must have tripled our exhibition space. And so when, when that happens, it takes a long time to sort of uh, grow into, I think, uh, into your new dicks or into your new role in the city. We, I think essentially we, we upped the ante and we had to become a, a museum that was internationally relevant and important, and we've become that. So now, in the last five years since I've been here, or perhaps even before I arrived, we have made it a priority to engage with those concentric rings, you know, uh, of people who live and work in our city and getting out and meeting people where they live and work so that we can be relevant to people who live here. Hi, I'm David Bearwald. I've been at the farm since 2009, April 2009. I'm in building W2 right right uh, outside the water tower over here, which I love. It's kind of a, feels like a tree house up here, a lot of raw wood. I've got a pretty good view of the property and um, it works. I think the High Museum in years past really felt very much like a, um, a large institution and maybe something that was a little more inaccessible. I don't want to say privileged, but a little bit removed um, from the community. And I've seen that change over the years, especially when Michael came on the job and started to really embrace the local community and get out there and see artists and meet artists and pull them in. And I remember specifically 
seeing an artist talk and Michael reminding us, hey, this is our museum. This isn't someone else's museum. This is our museum. Take part in this museum. And that really struck me. Now I've got a you know, full-time membership and I love it. And we'll just stop in there for a half an hour or an hour sometimes just to see, just to change my space and my perspective and um, get a little charge. Uh, I've been here since January 2010, so I think I went to the goat farm the first couple months I was in town. There was an event, you know, there's always amazing things going on. So I went out to the goat farm and uh, I was blown away because it's, I'm from Chicago and to find a place like that in in Chicago, you got to go, oh, like 50 miles outside of the city, you know? So to have it just a five minute taxi ride from Midtown or a bike ride from my apartment is was amazing to have this place. And I and I had learned at that time that there were a lot of artist studios there. So when I started doing studio visits, uh, naturally I kind of asked artists and, and a few other people who I should be looking at and where do they have their studios. And often it was at the goat farm. I had moved to Austin in 2008, to Austin, Texas, and, um, and came back in early, very early 2009. That's when uh, Anthony Harper and Chris Melhouse were um, chasing down the property, the goat farm. And uh, I came over and met them and really pressured them to give me a lease <laughs> and signed it and moved in. And that was April 1st of 2009. For a while there, there were only about a dozen of us on the property as they were uh, building out spaces and, and, um, and pursuing the ownership of the property. Uh, that lasted probably maybe six, six or eight months and it was, a, it was a really interesting time to get to explore the property. So I've seen it really develop from zero to, uh, to what it is now. So what I, uh, really what I, I'm looking for is a serious commitment to a discipline by artists who are working in their studios. Uh, artists who are stu- serious about their studio practice, who have evolved and uh, or are in a uh, state of evolving in their practice and do what they do very well. When you see the show, you'll, you'll know what I mean. Uh, you'll see work that is very minimal aesthetically, um, work that's conceptual conceptually oriented, other works that uh, are influenced by illustration, graphic design, commercial art, and other works that uh, are in conversation with painting and traditions in painting and other traditional, you know, approaches to image making. I don't remember exact details. I think um, Michael told me what pieces they were interested in, and I was really pleased and actually maybe a little bit surprised. I hadn't shown the, that work. I, I didn't have any other real response. It was brand new work. And, um, and I, sometimes I really, I, I don't know for a little while when I make something and I back away from it. So I think it was pretty fresh in there. Maybe I, I was concerned if there was enough information. Well, David's work, there are two drawings that are perhaps two of the most modest drawings in a studio just in terms of size and scale, more or less the size of a standard sheet eight and a half by 11 or 11 by eight and a half. They bought a few pieces that were pages I pulled out of a Chinese history book, I believe. So Empire and Empire C that I've been covering and erasing and I pretty much covered these, these shots to the point where they're, they're almost unrecognizable. 
I smeared some white and I smeared some black and, uh, and let a few things peek through. These are two drawings that are titled Empire and they are on book pages. And so he's uh, basically canceled out the, any text or image on the book pages to make these images that seem to be kind of epic uh, in terms of the image, which I read as landscape or oceanscape, sort of vast bodies of land or water with traces of uh, other imagery that kind of come through the scumble uh, paint uh, or ink on the pages. And uh, is work that's in conversation with a different, a different set of, of influences than many of the other artists I'm working with, you know, being literature, poetry, this kind of uh, romantic imagery, even though the images are not romantic at all. As you're walking into the Ann Cox Chambers wing, it's going to be right there on your left. They're they're on. I think they're the around the second piece pieces on the left as you walk in. I'm keeping my eye on David as well because he's continuing to to grow as an artist. He's been at it for a long time, but continues to evolve. My name is Ashley Anderson, and I am an artist living in Atlanta, Georgia. And I pull images out of old video games and turn them into fine art of the 21st century. I was a Leap Year Fellow for the 2013-2014 year, and I got a studio space over here and was just, you know, working on my own stuff. I do a lot of work with imagery from old video games. I select images from these games not based on their ability to be identified with any specific sort of title or series. Uh, usually I actually avoid that. I tend to pick things based on their capacity to correspond with ideas from art history, whether explicit in terms of a reference to an existing artwork things dealing with still life. I love still lifes. So pots of flowers from different video games, you know, just environmental things, windows, panes of glass, different representations of wood. The most well-known of that work right now is the Shinobi Maryland series that I completed back in 2012, where I did prints, paintings, animated GIFs, gel transfers, drawings on plastic, using versions of a image of Marilyn Monroe that I recovered from the arcade game Shinobi, as well as eight of the home versions of that game, which each rendered slightly different iterations of the Monroe graphics, stemming from at least two different photographic sources and one hand-drawn source, which was placed in the exact same spot and was a blonde white lady, but was not based on any photograph. We acquired three drawings from his, uh, I guess, Maryland's, I'm just calling them casually Maryland series. They each have a, a unique title. But they are a really, a part of a really interesting project that, that Ash has been involved with for some time. And that is mining images from old school video games and gaming. 
At some point, he discovered that if there was a, a rendering of a, an environment, of an interior or even like an alleyway, an exterior, and there was an indication of art in that environment, it was almost always a Maryland. Like the Warhol Maryland became a sign in that early gaming technology for art, which was kind of amazing because that's really what you know Warhol produced these symbols and where they became symbolic images. Ash started to do this like taxonomic study uh, of the images, what, what games they appeared in, what what scenes, who the designers of the games were, and even uh, down to the details about who the photographers were who took the the different photographs of Marilyn, because there were a couple different ones, and he was able to determine which ones came from which photographs. So it was this amazing research project, uh, which resulted in this group of works on paper that are based on the Warhol Marilyn silkscreens, which we have in our collection. So I found this image of Monroe in the background of this arcade game, and I set it aside to f mess with later. I did one painting of it uh, using different colors of gold paint on a heavy sheet of paper, and it didn't really satisfy me, so I decided that at, since I wasn't satisfied, there must be some more information that I needed to deal with. So I did some homework about Warhol, about Monroe, and about the game. And I realized that there's sort of a 25-year cycle going on where Monroe died in 62, Warhol died in, in February of 87, and then the game was released in November of 87. And then 25 years after that, uh, would have been the 50th anniversary of Monroe's death, but it was also roughly the same time that I found the imagery. I'm happy that we can provide a platform to show his work and that he can also um, put the High Museum's collection on his CV. That's something that very few artists have the privilege of doing. Any museum collection, right? It's a, it's a, it's a privilege and an honor, and it's also an indication that you have achieved something uh, as an artist that is meaningful. So uh, I'm really pleased that we can confer that kind of the imprimatur of the museum on his work, so that he can continue to evolve in his practice. But he's doing it, whether or not we would have conferred that on on him, because he's an incredibly curious person. What he's doing now is exactly what other artists should be doing, and that is just. Uh, questioning what they do in their studio and continuing to be curious and to grow and over time there will be success that results from that whether it's in a museum collection or in a commercial venue. In the graphic of Monroe there's a single pixel on her face that represents her mole above her lip. The image of Monroe appears in two rows of three so a block of six just plastered on this wall behind the characters and all six of them are the same except for one and the only difference between that one and the rest is that the pixel representing her mole has moved to a spot right between her eyes that is a reference to a series of Monroe paintings that Warhol had stacked against the wall in his studio that were shot by some crazy lady who came into his studio one day she asked if she could shoot his paintings. He assumed she meant photography. He said yes. She pulled out two little white gloves and a pistol and fired into a stack of paintings leaning against the wall. It was a stack of four Monroes. The bullet hole 
I think the bullet hole is patched in at least one of them, but they're known as the shot Maryland's and they're highly valuable because of that extra little bit of history that they have. They appear in the game. So whoever, whoever altered that graphic knew their art history. So I feel like that just adds a little, just that little camelback break and straw of intention you know, to the thing that makes me, makes me think they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, there's so much to do in the city. Every night, it seems, I can't keep up. Yeah, I try. <laughs> there's a lot going on, and it's really exciting. So we need to support it, which means can mean simply going and attending the events and being part of that enthusiasm and excitement and sharing it, sharing it via social media. Because uh, by doing that, we raise the awareness uh, among all 6.7 million, I don't know how many people live here, that we have got a really vibrant cultural community in this city. And the arts and culture in the city are really strong and vital. And we all know that people who are active inside it but if we can make others aware that we're here, that will only help to foster more growth to raise the bar. What we're doing with this show, it was, I like to think of it as helping to try and raise the bar, not only in studios, but um, among people who live here so they understand there are great artists who live and work here and they should be buying their work. Go to galleries, buy their work, collect it, support what's going on here because a lot of these artists will probably move on later there many of them are very young and will continue to have successful careers and you know why not support them now while they're part of our city the show is up until october 4th so we're going to get a pretty good run here so uh I think Sprawl is um probably appropriately named after after seeing the show it really does represent a broad diversity of the type of visual art that's being made um, in Atlanta. The spectrum goes from, you know, abstract paper pieces by artists that have been working for quite some time all the way to folks that are just, just getting going and uh, figuring out their, their vocabulary and, and where they are and what they're going to make. So this show really uh, uh, captures um, a wide-angle look at what's going on. The first show had an impact, and I think, um, and especially after seeing the turnout, the broad diversity of the work, I think a lot of folks ended up at the museum, maybe even for the first time, that wouldn't have, or got to come back, take a visit, and, uh, and realize that, you know, it is their museum. These are folks they know that now have pieces, uh, working artists that have pieces in the museum. So the museum is less of some some kind of um, something outside of us and outside of the city, this looming specter. It's still mysterious and it's still magical, but, but hopefully now it's a bit more accessible.